Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Entry Level Left. My name is Matt. I'm Jared. I'm Nathan. And we have an exclusive Patreon-only bonus episode for you. Oh my god, this fucking shit. Have you seen this Hot Cup of Joe, like, coloring book thing? It's like a Hot Joe Biden. It's so, so painful. I think it's a Russian op, TBH. There's no other explanation. Like, if anyone who buys this is a psychopath, I'm going to send it to our group chat right now. So what's up with Venezuela? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, are we starting? No. (laughs) Are you sure? Because that's kind of funny. Jerry Jerry Seinfeld voice. So, what's the deal with Venezuela? (laughs) That Venezuela. That Venezuela. What's the deal with Venezuela? And they're like, oh, when has socialism ever worked? What about Venezuela? Vuvuzuela. I feel like people have actually chilled out, though, on using that comparison a little bit. I haven't seen it in a while. Because memeing works, because it makes you feel stupid. Yeah, because I'm just like, I was expecting a lot of those, like, fucking assholes who are doing these, like, COVID protests or whatever to be, like, holding signs, like, you know, this isn't. This is America. It's not Venezuela. I can go to the Applebee's whenever I want. Open everything now. You know what I mean? Like, that's more what I expected. And I didn't see any of that shit, really. Yeah, I hadn't even really thought about Venezuela in a minute until this shit, like, popped up in the news. I honestly, like, fear for them, like, so often. Like, because if you think about it, they're surrounded on almost every side of their country by, like, hostile... uh, Oh, yeah. Militants, you know what I mean? And it's scary to think about, like, I feel for the people of Venezuela and, you know what I mean? Like, just because of the stress that they've got to be under all the time. Like, they have a volunteer militia and yeah, all the people are very deeply involved in the threats that they encounter. Well, they've, I mean, all these attempts to get Maduro out of power, I mean, they continuously keep failing. Like, Military operations, diplomatic operations, the electoral, you know, whatever, like they can't make it work, save their life, you know, and that's why right now, you know, these reports are coming out with the State Department being angry at like Juan Guaido and all these people because they've been mis they feel like they've been misled about how truly unpopular Maduro is in Venezuela. And that's not to say that he isn't. There isn't a degree of unpopularity that's there, whether it's from reactionary forces or even just general, you know, run of the mill Venezuelans who feel like their country's being mismanaged or because things have happened. But the reality is like the U S is really committed to like making living in Venezuela, you know, a living nightmare just for this sheer instance of, we don't like this guy and we want him taken out and we want control of those oil resources there. Even with like the most recent sort of coup that's been prevented, right. With these, American mercenaries, these right. two that were captured, it's sort of interesting to look at because it's like it wasn't even quashed by the Venezuelan military. It was like fishermen on boats just right. stopped them. And it sort of makes you wonder like, so if these people are really that patriotic to the point where they're going to stop a coup, just random people, just random fishermen out and about are going to stop a coup, like how how popular is he? I mean, he must be at least somewhat right. popular to where normal people right. are going to support him, you know? Yeah. And the, th- the thing is, is like, it's such a big page out of the CIA playbook too, right. with the way that they try to like starve the people or threaten the people until they revolt against their government. And 
the thing is, is like even the people, like even the people that you would talk uh, talk to there that may support Guaido or may be like right wing, like they still don't want like the Americans coming over here. Like they still don't want their country invaded. Right. Like they have enough like national solidarity on that in that sense that they don't want their country invaded. Like they're not like like unempathetic like disgusting like sociopaths like we have in the u.s right i think that's the case really for any country that's subject to u.s imperialism like what regardless of their particular you know political strands or ideologies the leader because for instance in like russia right like not a lot of russians obviously like putin but he manages to coalesce like a sort of unity within the country based on you know kind of unifying everyone against the u.s and what the u.s has done because they're another country that's been subject to a vast amount of sanctions and you know is constantly under military threat from the united states same with iran same with venezuela as we were discussing and yeah i mean it goes back to the fact that like a lot of times you know, American imperialism, all it ends up doing, it does, it's not even serving its own interests, really, you know, in, in many ways, because it, it manages to coalesce oftentimes the entirety of the country, right and left, to say, like, hey, we may disagree, but also fuck, fuck the U.S., you know? It's not, yeah. at this point, it's not even, like, subtle. Like, I, I mean, I guess in, in the past, we've sort of, like, subtly overthrown governments. But at right. this point, it's like, we have a literal bounty out on Maduro. Like Trump literally right. has a fifteen million dollar bounty on on him, and then it's like it's strange to watch the government be like, "Oh, I guess these mercenaries were just acting on their own faith, right? Just going in there to just overthrow the government." It's like we're not really gonna just you know trace the dots back one or two two spots right. to say like, "Hmm, you have a fifteen million dollar bounty out. Don't you think that those people are trying to win either like economic or political favor with you?" You have that much interest in changing the government. And it's just indicative of like of the other levels that must exist. Like if we have a bounty out on them, imagine all the other little small steps that we've taken, obviously sanctions, but imagine all the other things that are happening behind the scenes that we've definitely done to try to at least sort of like urge the populace to overthrow Maduro or urge Maduro to sort of give in to like, you know, Western powers in general. Well, you know, for a fact that these like mercenary dudes are, are probably dudes that, want to get this 15 million dollars or whatever it is you know as some sort of startup capital because you know they'd probably become capitalists and try to become the next bill gates or jeff bezos with that investment money well they're trying to be like blackwater mm-hmm. i mean that's what yeah. they're doing they're a private you know security firm they want to be as big as blackwater i wouldn't be surprised if blackwater well i don't know what blackwater is called now eric prince's shit um, I would not be surprised at all if they had their hands in it or if they knew these guys or whatever, you know, but the whole botched, you know, coup or whatever that you, whatever you want to call this, you know, it's a lot of people have been comparing it to the Bay of Pigs. It's like, this makes the Bay of Pigs look like a successful invasion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like these guys were captured again, like you were saying, like by local fishermen really quickly. Uh, and on top of that, it just it just reeks of like a very Trump thing to do. Like some guy is like, oh, yeah, man, give me a uh, 15 million or two million or whatever. And I'll go overthrow this this uh, dictator, well, whoever they consider a dictator or despot or whatever. And 
Trump's just like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, like you, you guys, you got some Green Berets and some Navy SEALs and all they got to do is wear some MAGA hats. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Send them the money. Let them let them do their thing. It's funny to think that like the special forces guys cannot operate at all, like under their own command. Like they just completely oh, yeah. fucked it up before they even got there. The, the mission's a right. fucking failure. Right, right. Good job. Well, also, too, how long have they like been out of the military you know because they like showed the pictures of them and they didn't look like they were you know in particularly uh navy seal shape so yeah it looked like goofus and gallant like one yeah. with, like, a huge ass spear gut and the other looked like he was uh you know probably related to his uncle right and again like the 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 navy seals the green berets all that shit these guys are supposedly trained to undergo like literal torture in case they get captured and you know, they don't, the American government doesn't want them squealing any secrets and shit. And you know, these guys get captured and there's this videos, the Venezuelan government just sitting them down at a table or the government, not the government, but you know, like cops or police or whatever. And they're like, uh, yeah. So who do you work for? Who sent you? What did you do this for? Blah, blah, blah. And the guy is just telling them everything. And yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was so. It's just so funny to me. Like, someone tweeted um, uh, about a picture of a lot of them at Silver Court USA. Yeah. On uh, on Twitter, and it's just like a photo of them all eating out like a, a pub, mm-hmm. and they've got their MAGA hats out at, at the yeah. table. They're all in like white button down T shirts with black ties. Right. And then the, someone on Twitter tweeted. Uh, why did they all have to look like washouts from the ultimate fighter? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Like, and again, I just, you know, they were probably a bunch of reactionary ex military guys who were like, Oh yeah, you know, we could, we could totally fucking go in there and, you know, bing, bang, boom, get rid of this guy. And, you know, God emperor Trump will, you know, give us the medal of honor or whatever. And that just didn't happen at all. You know, because again, you have a, country that while it's undergoing an immense crisis largely imposed by the united states it's you know it's still heavily organized and it has a lot of support you know contrary to what the united states narrative sort of reaffirms you know on a day-to-day basis it makes me wonder like how competent are we at actually overthrowing dictators like if we send in like some fucking green berets and they're literally Mm -hmm. like pissing themselves and Mm -hmm and fucking stuck in captivity and giving up all the information. How fucking competent actually are we? I got a little bit of cognitive dissonance going now because I'm, I know we've overthrown South American dictatorships before. Now I'm wondering like, how did we ever do that? If this is how fucking stupid our actual fucking military is, you throw enough at them and they're bound to break down. That's a U.S. strategy. That's why like they just send boots on the ground, boots on the ground, boots on the ground. Right, and sanctions. Yes. If we can't literally kill them, we'll starve them all to death. Yeah. Well, that's uplifting. I wonder how the U.S. would actually, like, fare in, like, a a significant world war. Like, I wonder. Like, Vietnam? I think the U.S., like, would be easily, like, as as much as, like, we want to think that this is such a powerful country, I feel like we would be toppled easily if, like, any country had, like, the balls to attack us. Like, I wonder, like, what would happen if, like, China and the the u.s got in a war even against like like guerrilla mm-hmm. forces we've we've lost like consistently it's like even against like iraq and afghanistan like how was that a decisive victory where we've been in this war for 20 years and we've spent right. trillions yeah. of dollars 
on two different wars, essentially fighting against the same sort of like vague ideology, apparently, or like Vietnam is the same thing. It's like, these are these types of wars where we just literally, we win in sense of like, we've killed more people, but at the same mm-hmm. time, we've just won no strategic victory. There's no objective that we've accomplished besides just killing yeah. just inordinate amounts of people, you know? Well, well, sometimes I wonder if it's incompetence or if it's belligerence, because like, if you take the instance of Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, we just kind of went in there and like wiped out their entire government. I mean, and their military largely that didn't take very long, but they economically decimated the country so much that it became a failed state. And there's, you know, who fills the gap in, in those, you know, when that happens, it's, it's obviously not organized. It's not a concrete ideology or a group of people, you know, that are necessarily aligned to you. Hence the whole rise of ISIS shit, you know, um, that's kind of like faded into nothing now. Uh, I mean, it's it's just because in the instance of the Vietnam War, you know, like the Viet Cong was heavily organized, not only around a concrete ideology, but also like, you know, they were just really good at guerrilla warfare. And the U.S. tends to get wrecked when that kind of stuff happens because they're not fighting in conventional methods. Um, and that's why, again, we've still been over in Afghanistan for years and years and years trying to nation build. And it's been a complete failure. But for the military industrial complex, your Halliburton's, your Boeing's, your Raytheon's, they've been still doing great. So, you know. Well, that's why it continues. Yeah, especially in in Venezuela, too. I mean, they're waiting for the opportunity to get their hands on, you know, not only the nation's assets and resources, but if anything was to amass to a conflict, there's a shit ton of money to be made off of all that. Yeah. Well, in other news, uh, Ahmad Arbery was murdered. Uh, about what was it two months ago now was it february i believe so yeah 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 Yeah. but sort of breaking news about it is that the video has been released and it is now uh clearly the equivalent of a lynching yeah we can tell yeah Yeah. ahmad was um he was apparently according to his i think a family member said that he was a football player and he was jogging in uh, this uh, neighborhood in georgia and uh, so apparently these these two uh, dudes who had been alerted to some type of a break in or a robbery in the area took it upon themselves to go and hassle this guy while he was literally just jogging for exercise. I guess they got into some fight and uh, uh, ultimately one of the guys uh, uh, shot him with a shotgun, I think it was, yeah. and killed him. Um, and it's just like when we talk about this, what we're really talking about is like topics that we've encapsulated before in previous episodes, which are, you know, white supremacy, racism, um, uh, just prejudice, uh, racial prejudice, and a long structural history of inequality and how that has just, especially under Trump, like really emboldened people to think that they can take justice in their own hands and be like a vigilante, essentially like execution style, kill somebody because they weren't quote unquote complying with simple commands. Like, like simple commands are for dogs, not people. 
that are just minding their own fucking business jogging in a neighborhood. Right. Well, they're also too. these guys weren't cops. You know, it's like, why would he even need to follow their commands? You know, I mean, these guys have even admitted they both they both went out with guns. Like one had like a pistol and the other one had a shotgun and they both went out mm. and they said that, oh, he looked like a burglar. So we wanted to go stop him. Like stop him for right. what? Like who who are you, right. you know, to stop a person? And who are you to say that that person looks like a burglar? Like realistically, what, what are you saying there? Like what makes you think that this person is a burglar? Like fill in the gaps. It's It's got to be race. Right. Well, also too, it's like. This guy, I mean, because I didn't even hear about any of this until the video got released, which I watched and is absolutely horrifying. But I didn't even hear about this until like a, a week or so ago. And, you know, this is apparently something that's been going on for months. And of course, like you were saying earlier, we just got access to the video. But, you know, it does remind me a lot of our episode that we had a while back on like white supremacy in the United States, because I think one of the points that we brought up in there is like to grow up in this society with its history and its legacy, there's just certain elements of like race and racism that are reinforced at all levels, regardless of whether or not you yourself consider yourself to be a racist. And the fact that in the 911 call, the the person on the, the responder is asking, you know, what is he doing wrong? What is he doing wrong? And the guy's like, basically what you said, Nathan, like he looks like a burglar and it's like, what about him makes him look like a burglar? Certainly to the point, you know, is and even if he was, like, even if that was the case, you you chase him down with guns to kill him? Like, that's not how the legal system is supposed to work. You know, I mean, I know it doesn't function as well as it should anyway, but, you know, they're exactly, they're vigilantes. They're taking things into their own hands. I mean, they absolutely blew this kid away in broad daylight. And come to find out he's an ex-cop and worked for the DA's office and the DA never even, these guys weren't even arrested until the video came out. And there was all these people corroborating what they said and taking it as fact and no investigation. And this kid was murdered. I mean, it's, it's just, if you want to get blackpilled into the fucking abyss, I mean, just read anything about what's going on with that case. It's horrific. I can't even bring myself to watch the video, quite honestly. Like, I I just get so angry and yeah. so, like, uncontrollably sad when I see stuff like that, that it's just, like, it would put, it, like, I would be nervous wreck for, like, a week if I, if I watched that video. What makes me, yeah. like, infinitely sad is, like, even when you do watch the video, the people who sort of reply in the comment section are, like, Oh God! Are kind of like justifying it, like in They're a weird like way. Basically. Yeah. They're not even kind of justifying it. They're a thousand one hundred percent justifying. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot of talk like, about he like should have just obeyed commands. He should have just did that, mm-hmm. did this, whatever. Yeah, people are like, well, why did he rush the person with a gun? It's like, well, I mean, he's already running. He's literally out for a run. What else is he supposed to do besides fight? You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, also a wild concept. He probably didn't want to die. Yeah, you know. Like, like what gives why is it his fault that they're pointing guns at him you know what i mean like if we look at this from any other angle someone walks in your house and points a gun at you is it your fault for fighting back you know it's just, just right. a weird it's, twilight zone where these people think that it's okay that someone chased someone down with a gun and was like hey stop i have suspicions about you where would that ever pass in any other part of society yeah, like, honestly like white people especially need to look at this and be like 
imagine if this was your grand grandmother or your sister, your aunt, your brother, your cousin, or like, your child. Yeah, or your child. Like you, you can't look at this and say this guy should have done this, should have done that. Like, what would you have done, or what would the you would have wanted your family to do in that situation where? They felt like they had to take a stand because their life was being threatened for no reason. Like, clearly this man, man like, thought that he was in, in great danger. Otherwise, he wouldn't have even tried to mess with these two random dudes who pulled up in a pickup truck and were harassing him from the start. Like, he didn't even initiate it. Like, he, they literally harassed him and got him to, like, get into a fight with them. They, like, trapped him so that they could claim that they were acting in self-defense like all white supremacists do. Right. Kind of referring back to like the comment section that I was talking about before is like, you see a lot of people who at this case want to break down every little thing about like, well, we should be a little bit more understanding because there was some break-ins in the, in the neighborhood or we should be a little bit God. more understanding because like, I mean, it did, he, he was running. It did look kind of suspicious and we should give all these little sort of like subtle, um, like we should accept except these two guys for thinking the way they did for all these little subtle, tiny reasons that they never seem to grant in other cases, like with Michael Brown or anything like that, where it's like all these little things that they decide that, Oh, this actually matters. Like, I don't know if they're necessarily bad because of all these yeah. little things that I decided are important. But when you look at the opposite cases where like a black man gets gunned down by the police, for example, suddenly they want to pick apart all the little things of like, well, he was stealing cigarettes or well, he was actually uh, a convicted convict before. So uh, obviously he wasn't the best kind of guy, you know, and all right. these little things right. so where it's like to be extrajudicially murdered. Yeah, like, like, like that's like what they're getting. At. What's what's hard to look at is like, where do all these people in these like comment sections, where, where do they pick apart? It seems like every time they pick apart, frankly, in favor of the white person, they're always picking apart. Like what, well, if the black person was maybe at fault, let's look at all the different little things that we could possibly find out on this person. What's all the dirt that we can sling on it? Did they smoke weed? Oh yeah. This person was high while they got killed. Obviously it's their fault or whatever it might be. And then on the opposite <laughs> side, it's the, it's, it's different. It's like, well, let's try our hardest to understand why, why this person would bring a gun to chase down a fucking jogger. And right. you know, like, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's just, it, it it's never, it, it never ceases just to fucking amaze me. It's like always playing devil's advocate. It's like always being a, the, yeah, uh, um, actually guy. Yeah. It's always, it's always like, trying to belittle or downplay like especially which we'll talk later about but like what the democrats are doing with the me too movement yeah and Tara reed it's very similar it's like constantly and opportunistically belittle things that you know compromise your political position like you know the only reason that those women like stacy abrams nancy pelosi you know, even even to some extent, like AOC, like have just looked past that stuff just to get their their um, shit for brains, like rapist, senile, racist candidate elected. But I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you bring it up perfectly. It's like it is extremely similar into the point where it's like you only want to find nuance when it benefits you or like your group yeah. or your party or whatever it is. I mean, this week yeah. we saw there's been just insane amounts of confirmation on this, on the side of, of Tara Reed. I mean, what are the things that we've, we've seen? We've seen, um, 
we she had several friends a few weeks ago who said that yes, mm. she was talking about it back in the nineties, right? Yeah. This isn't a new story. She's told us this in the past. She had um uh her mom it came out that she had actually her mom had called Larry King on an episode and it said, Hey, my daughter, right, had actually had problems working for a US senator. Right. And now it's come out and it's like, well, who else could she be talking about besides her one daughter who works for a U.S. senator? And then this week, and this is pretty much breaking news, at least as of today, I don't know when this episode releases, but we've had we've heard about um, there was court documents that she filed during her divorce back in 96 where her husband said that she was distressed because she was sexually harassed while working for a senator. So it's like we we know she's been telling this story for years. It's starting to approach the point of like. She almost has, I don't know, this might be a spicy take, but it almost feels like she might have as much or maybe more evidence than Christine Blasey Ford had at the time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, And on top of that, like, I'm just, I'm ready to get to the point where there's enough fucking information out on this shit that we just have people like Pelosi and Senator Gillibrand and all of them just outwardly saying, like, look, um... I hear you. I see you. Um, I understand that this did happen to you, but getting the orange man out of office is more important to us. I mean, it, it's it hasn't really been said so far by people who are elected in office, but you can find the sort of random Twitter users out there who have said exactly oh, that. They're like, I don't care if Biden shot somebody on Fifth Avenue. I want him in office. And it's like, right. you know, again, it's sort of a meme at this point, but it's fucking blue MAGA. You know, it's like. Yeah. We need our guy in office. That'll make things better, right. no matter how fucking well, heinous think, they are. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's one of the silver linings, ultimately. I think we've brought this up on some you know, episodes in the past. Maybe the silver lining, or one of the silver linings with the whole Trump administration, is the fact that like, if you were ever convinced that there was a serious division in this country between the two major political parties... You know, it's these kinds of things that show increasingly that there is less and less in which they disagree upon and more and more in which they have in common. Um, Because I just remember when like Obama was in office and all the liberals were like freaking out about how like, you know, Republicans made this whole huge deal about Benghazi and it was nothing and blah, blah, blah. But then we see the Democratic Party adopt its own Benghazi with uh, you know, Russia gave because they couldn't accept the fact that their shit ass horrible policies were not popular and people would rather throw a wrench in the system than keep it going as is. Now we're seeing that, you know, the arguments they were making against Brett Kavanaugh being opposed, uh, you know, put as a Supreme Court justice and, you know, everything they were bringing up with uh, what was her name? Christine Blasey Ford or yeah, yeah. originally sexually assaulted by uh, yeah. uh, Kavanaugh. You know, now we're seeing Tara Reid come up and she is she does have more evidence. You know, I'm not downplaying that other woman's experience and I don't doubt that they happen. But um, Tara Reid now has more evidence and the Democratic Party is doing exactly what the Republican Party is. I mean, they're just doing a more, you know, PR campaign ran through version of, well, what was she wearing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Essentially just victim blaming at the end. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, like that tying that back to Ahmad's case, like, you know, it's crazy that we like it took two months like these men that before they were arrested, they enjoyed like 74, 75 days of freedom 
Right. Of just like walking around think that, thinking that they did absolutely nothing wrong. Like just like in cold blood murdering this dude for literally jogging in a, in his neighborhood. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just like it, white supremacy in this country is so bad that it took a video for like any police like presence or involvement or pressure on the case. Like it took the internet getting like shit flinging mad about this video for the police to actually do anything about it. Right. And a few, like not even like 10 episodes ago, we were talking about, you know, white supremacy and the origins of like, cops as slave catchers in the u.s and just like this stuff is still so prescient today Mm -hmm. i think it's still so important to understanding why these things are happening and why these people feel emboldened to do this well and i think too you know going back to what nathan was bringing up in regards to this this case about the people you know sort of defending these vigilante psychopaths in you know, in the comment sections and whatnot on, on social media is that I think part of it is like a lot of these people are very like right-wing ideology and, you know, they don't, you know, like who, who is sort of taking charge of this and, you know, throwing all the, you know, shit over this instance of what is clearly a a cold-blooded murder. So there's an ideological component, but I think also too, you know, it's people not wanting to reconcile the fact that like white supremacy is alive and well in the United States today. And it's, it's contributed in many ways to a lot of these people's way of life, you know? Yeah. exactly. Uh, And I think that that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. You know, the U S has never had its sort of uh, rest and reconciliation over what happened or what we have done to black people historically. I mean, we think because we, teach a very watered down version of what the civil rights movement was, you know, once a month, every year that we've sort of ended racism. Um, but we haven't structurally addressed what has caused it, what's reproduced it and who benefits from it. Yeah. And again, tying, tying it back into Tara Reed, it's, it shows that the liberals and the sort of like conservative types that are easy to make fun of are not so different. Like when something is sort of easy to pick apart and try to act like there's these really subtle nuances that, oh, hey, our guy actually isn't that bad because um, actually all these three reasons, you know, and uh, you'll never be able to convince me otherwise, whether it's in a comment section or if it's like a fucking politician on Twitter. It's like they they come from the same place. These like really, really dug in, like sort of group think men- mentalities where they just don't want to be wrong. You know what I mean? Whether you're a Democrat who wants to say like, no, Biden's actually a good guy or whether you're right. fucking just, just a white person in a comment section saying like, well, actually there's a little bit no- more nuance. These two fucking armed vigilantes who are looking for people who uh, looks kind of like burglars. No, they're actually not so bad. You know, they're bad, but not, not too bad. There's a little bit understandable there. It's just insane where these people try to place empathy, you know, or make it where it's just really not. Right. And well, and I think the case with like, you know, talking about Me Too and Tara Reid and the Democratic Party and all that shit, like, I think a lot of it, too, is just political opportunism. You know, as we've seen with what Stacey Abrams and Gillibrand and 
know, all these people who are like obviously trying to like, you know, one toe the party line because they know it'll happen if they don't. Hence why I think AOC has uh, made the remarks Omar, that she yeah. has. Yeah, even Ilhan Omar like sort of went kind of in, in, off in a different direction when she uh, supported like a bill that would provide a bunch of money for Israel. Yeah. Well, I think all of it, it just boils down to like the, the party politics of the Democratic Party. And I think what sort of, you know, gets me really blackpilled and nihilistic is with the Democratic or with just what's going on in the world right now, especially within the Democratic Party, is like there is no organizing in the Democratic Party. Like that's just not going to happen. And that's it should be clear as day right now in terms of what we're seeing with the Me Too shit, how we're seeing AOC and Ilhan backpedal. I mean, shout out to Rashida Tlaib, who stayed strong on all this, but who knows before her time comes. Um, because at the end of the day, these people have to play a certain game and do a certain dance to stay in power. And they're clearly willing to do that versus, you know, have a spine. And I think the thing that really blackpills me about the case with um, Ahmad Arbery, regardless of how people, random suburbanites, you know, feel about the issue on Facebook, is that I don't really think anything meaningful is going to come out of it. I don't think it's going to change anything. I don't think it's going to change the narrative. I think everything's going to continue exactly as is. Same with going back to the Democratic Party with the Democratic Party. And, you know, moving forward, that's something the left really needs to just kind of start thinking about is how do we put forward an actual plan? How do we start really shit slinging at these fucking assholes? Because what we're doing right now clearly is not working. And there's really not a a sort of non doomer way to look at all of this, at least for me personally. Yeah. Well, you have to look at it from like a structural perspective too. Like we talk about with everything else. Yeah, think of Democrat like these Democratic like big names like AOC, uh, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, like in in a sense, and Stacey Abrams too. Like in a sense, like these people, you know, have made a name for themselves, and 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 like a lot of the times garnered a lot of negative attention. Like AOC, Ilhan, they've all received like death threats or like crazy like you know, threats on their lives from like these right wing, like whack, whack jobs. Right. If you think about it, like from their perspective, like, would you want to go back into the normal world, become like a normal citizen, like not work in like government anymore, not have the protection of the state, like necessarily like, and, and all of that stuff, just, just, you know, to, you know, champion your values when you're still like a young under 30 year old person and you're trying to make a career you're trying to like stay in power like yeah these people have no incentive ultimately in this capitalist society run by these crazy right-wing fascists they don't have an incentive to stand up for these ideals and when push comes to shove they're like reactionary socialists in the sense where they'll always like compromise revolution or compromise like the goals of socialist society uh, to save their own skin. And, you know, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, um, you know, I thought Ilhan Omar was different from like AOC and a lot of those other like milquetoast libs. But you know, recently she backed an Israel lobby campaign against Iran. Mm. And it's just insane, like how this is ringing true over and over and over again. Like you cannot trust the Democrats to bring forth any type of justice. 
because yeah. they're structurally inclined to keep everything exactly as it is right now. Right. And some of the more progressive ones, they just have like this idea, like I've said, like they're careerist, a lot of them. Why would they want to lose the prote- the protection and the posterity of their, you know, esteemed position and go back to being a normal citizen and, you know, potentially be under attack by these right wing shitheads? Like, why would they do that? And like, in a way, it's 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 sort of like the critique of just bourgeois politics in general is that like, no matter what we put in, who we put in power, like AOC or Elon Omar, Rashida Tlaib or anybody really, even Bernie Sanders and the president, is that like, they're always going to ask them to compromise. There's always going to be like, well, you want A, so you got to give us B. And that's what like a lot of people speculate. For example, Elon Omar is making concessions on Iran and Iraq or uh, Israel. It's just that it's hey, you know, like, you've already been hard on Israel. This is where you've got to give it up a little bit, you know? And so in a way, it's it's totally rational for them to do these things. And what I think is important to realize is that, like, we constantly have to be putting pressure on these people. We can't just say, like, yes. oh, I understand. It's like, no, we need to be pushing them even harder on it. It's like, no, you don't get away with that just because of, of this. And that's how we end up shifting the Overton window over. It's like, I know on a philosophical level, we can sort of empathize and be like, I get it. You have to give up something somewhere, right? You're going to deal with these people all day long. You have to give up or agree with something to get something that you want. But as people, we don't have to do that. We're not in that position where we have to compromise. So even when politicians like that make bad choices, we don't have to defend them. You know, we just Mm -hmm. say like, no, that's wrong. Like, this is what I want for our system. This is what is right morally. I'm not going to accept just because it's like, oh, you got caught saying some sort of like vaguely anti-Semitic bullshit made up stuff in the past that now you have to be pro-Israel. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, I am not pro-Israel. You know, I'm not and I'm not like saying we should abolish the Israeli state or anything like that because I don't want to get banned from Twitch. No, I definitely <laughs> do think that, that we should abolish the Israeli state. <laughs> we should I mean, be careful with that. People have been. That's not an anti-Semitic thing to say, like. Being anti-Zionist and being anti-Semitic are different things. Yeah, exactly. Like I I would consider myself anti-Zionist in a way, but not anti-Semitic at all. But that's sort of beside the point. But what I'm saying is just, you know, with these people, we need to sort of have the ideal in our head and we can't compromise from it. We need to always be demanding more, and especially when it comes to organizing. Like we can organize on things that don't exist within the sort of like Overton window, you know, they don't, that don't exist within the party politics. And that's what we need outside organizing for is so that we can say that like, Hey, there is a popular movement against Israel, you know, years ago, nobody would have thought that that was just a thing that was just assumed. Like, of course we support Israel, but luckily like a a round about like, you know, 13 or 14 or so, um, there was sort of that whole incident in Gaza where they killed like 1500 people for the cost of like two Israeli lives or whatever it was. And it really opened up the eyes to a sort of a new generation of like, wow, there is a really like disproportionate relationship going on in the fucking middle East. And we're just essentially supporting it, you know? And so, yeah, yeah, we need to have that narrative outside of the mainstream narrative. You know, there needs to be two things working within the narrative, having our AOC types and Ilhan Omar types and Rashida Tlaib types making their stand, um, but they're going to lose it more often than not because they exist within the Democratic Party, and we need to be on the outside, you know, pushing them even even harder for the next round. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's to say, too, is it's like I'm not saying that, you know, because this has been leveled at me before, you know, is, well, are you just tossing out everything that, you know, AOC and Ilhan and all of them have, like, done and blah, 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 or Bernie Sanders, and it's like, well, no, like, I'm not 
saying that they haven't done any good or that stuff that they fight for or continue to fight for is is bad and we should oppose it just because we don't like them and some of their takes. That's not the case. I think what we're saying is exactly what you were just saying, Nathan. It's like we kind of have to be on the outside pushing these people more towards the left so that those, you know, cons you know, concession moments happen less and less because if there isn't a broader movement to push these people to the left, then we're not going to get anything. That said, I don't think that long-term strategy, the Democratic Party has any means structurally to allow for even someone like uh, a, a Bernie Sanders or even an AOC or an Ilhan Omar from ever really truly taking a really powerful position within their party uh, in a way that, you know, can initiate meaningful change. Yeah. All right. Uh, so enough talking about this Democratic Party bullshit and moving into talking about uh, fully automated space luxury communism. And by that, I mean, of course, normie communism. Um, what is that? And why are we discussing that this week? Well, I think like this, this week, more than ever, we've, we've sort of decided that like there's there's just these multiple levels of leftism where we have the sort of like almost technocratic level of leftism going on, on in our feeds in our facebook feeds and our twitter feeds of people who are discussing yeah. things that are like debates that haven't been solved since like the 1930s or the 20s or right. whatever since <laughs> marx existed and right. we we've sort of all you know as this podcast has existed as long as it has existed uh, before that, before we, when we were just like a reading group, we were asking like, how relevant is this to what's going on right now? You know, like right. how much of this do you actually have to understand to sort of get on board with the left, you know, just in general, right? right? Without even identifying with any specific sect, how much do you really need to know? And we've sort of always taken the philosophy that you don't really need to know that much. Like you really need to know, like, how does your workplace function? And that might be enough right. alone to convince you, you know, with a few other right. little issues that pop up here and there in capitalism. And so I guess, you know, overall, we've 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 sort of taken this stance where like we want this podcast to be mostly about just explaining to people why capitalism has failed you and not in the sense of like these weird sort of abstract contradictions that existed back when factories were where everybody worked, but sort of like in the here and now. You know, I think one of the reasons we've kind of like talked about this terminology, us and others, you know, like normie communism is it's like the world is so like fucking crazy right now. And it's like what I was talking about earlier, like feeling just totally blackpilled about the whole entire thing and like totally just doomered the fuck out. That the last thing I think I want to look for or would advocate someone go, you know, pick up and read in times like these is like the rants and manuscripts of some 19th century mercury poisoned leftist that has absolutely no fucking relevance to like the current, you know, material conditions of, of the times. And I feel like I'm just I'm just I know one thing that has just kind of really ticked us off this week. That's probably why we put this on here is just constantly scrolling through social media and seeing this just absolutely theory pilled like nerds just it's like they operate they're operating in like a completely different like realm of thinking and the way they speak talk and do politics it's like completely just outside of anything that would ever be graspable by a normal person yeah, that's not to be like condescending in any way. It's just like there comes a point when you kind of just need to know that 
surplus value exists and that it's being extracted from you versus like being read a thesis from <laughs> the 1850s about why there are more than just like the working class and the and the ruling class and all these different subclasses and German idealism and all that stuff. Like you, like the average person has like an intuition, right? To how capitalism is screwing them over. They've just never really been asked to think about it or they've never really questioned it. They've never really felt like it was okay to question or they just simply aren't political. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I think like people exist within like a, I mean, it's literally, again, going back to the Overton window, we all exist in like this very sort of like narrow view of what things could be. And I think a lot of times when people get out, they turn 18, they get out into the workforce and now they're eligible voters and they're looking around and they're like, well, there's the Democrats who are, you know, slightly pro-union and there seem to be slightly more worker oriented. And then there's Republicans who are pro-business and that's like all they have. They just have these two sort of like very narrow views of like the slightly more labor oriented party and then the not labor oriented party at all, you know? And so they don't really think outside of the box like we would hope they would, you know, people who would listen to this yeah. podcast, we'd hope they'd look outside right. and say like, no, the whole system is completely fucked. You know, there's no there's no getting outside of this without completely revolutionizing the way that everything works. Well, a lot of it is just kind of about showing liberals the patterns that their like news cycle brains aren't equipped to really take in. Like right. we posted on the Twitter, like on our Twitter at entry level left. You know, we've posted there, you know, the contradictions and the the hypocrisy with like Nancy Pelosi and her tweets about uh, Christine Blasey Ford versus like how she's like reacting to Biden's sexual assault allegations. And like it couldn't be more clear that like the Democrats have a clear history of compromising their, you know, political movements for their own like institutional or capital gain. Well, I think the thing is, though, is it's like going back to what you were saying, Nathan, you're kind of caught in that binary of the two political subjects that dominate U.S. politics, you know, and when you see shit like what the Democrats are doing right now, that might have someone who's sort of like center minded or whatever. They might kind of say, oh, well, holy shit, the Democrats are super hypocritical. I might now like switch to become more conservative leaning or vice versa. But I think the goal of what we're looking to do and like what we're trying to do is take people, which we know we're never going to convince the, you know, suburban small business owner to, you know, become a leftist, but is to basically teach people who are kind of grab people in who already have a kind of idea politically of how things work or might work. And they kind of know something's fucked up, but being able to communicate in a normal way, a way that isn't asking you to read you know, 700 plus page books every week on, you know, the philosophical contradictions within greater capitalist pedagogy. And you, you know what I mean? Like we need to be able to dissect these, these, these topics and push them forward, you know, a left politic that is for normal people, for your average person. And I think that's something that the left has just always struggled for in general. But I think with the, you know, internet being what it is now, it's like heightened these extremely theory-pilled and sectarian-minded, you know, people and thoughts to just kind of gravitate in their little bubbles and not really actually do the work necessary to teach and educate and reach out to other people in a way that's 
digestible and and just normal just not being a fucking weirdo yeah in a way it's like i'm not i'm not asking people to accept that like this is the way that the world is or this is like how the world has to be it's like you know think about it abstractly like do you want a stateless classless society like if that world could exist do you want it I mean, who would say no? Why would you say no to that? Right. Like before we get into the idea of how we're going to do that, it's like, is that what you want? You know, if, if yes, you're on the left, like, sorry to say it. Like that's what that's you're on the left. You're trying to reduce hierarchy or you're trying to reduce inequality. Like, I'm sorry, you are on the left. I guess when people take their first step into leftism, they typically step into some certain ideology. You know what I mean? If they end up with an organization or they end up on someone's youtube channel or whatever they tend to sort of follow one specific ideology and i think in this podcast we've always been the sort of like centrist marxist where we're not really specifically looking at any particular strand of marxism we're just saying that like of course this is the right choice like this is the moral choice like if you want a better society there's no other direction to go besides the left yeah, with the intent to structurally dismantle the thing that is causing the most oppression and, you know, what have you currently in our current moment. And to be able to understand that and say, like, obviously, we know that this system, capitalism, needs to change and be replaced with a better system. But we're also not here to advocate one specific way in which you go about that. Because any, anyone who claims to know that, you know, is, I think, a snake oil salesman, quite honestly. You know, it's, it's just not something you can begin to navigate when the positions you're advocating have absolutely zero like material power in the current state of world economic affairs. Yeah, we're not even like at that point yet where we can say like, what strand of leftism do you want to take course? You know, it's like we're right. not even at the point where we've, where we've like accepted the sort of basic tenets of what like a leftist ideal society looks like. So there's so much more work to be done on that front. And, you know, it's not all going to be done through electoral politics. There's got to certainly be some sort of balance where, of course, we're voting in the people who are as left as possible. But on the same on the other side, we need to be also working towards things like bigger unions or unions in places we hadn't thought of before, like like attendance unions, pretty much any 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 sort of practical solution that you could pull from really any strand of leftist ideology and at least seeing like, is this popular? Is this what people want to do? Is this what, what sort of garners their most support outside of the sort of mainstream political left or Democrat versus Republican sort of ideology? Right. And I think the main thing is just like for a lot of like online communists that I see, like very like left book heavy, like very heavily online people, some of them like tend to like just type and type a type like huge paragraphs about, you know, long dead theories or just like just theory in general. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, you know, of course is applicable to today what's going on. But it's like, like when is the last time you've actually talked to a, another person that you're not <laughs> like, friends with? You know what I mean? Right. right. When's the last time that you've actually had to argue your ideas to someone who didn't understand what like the terminology you were using, like they didn't understand what surplus value is or what like extraction and exploitation and atomization and alienation mean in a Marxist like context. Like you can't expect people to have the language that you have because they haven't read what you have. So if you can't 
you can't talk to those people, then your movement is functionally dead. And a lot of people need to, in my opinion, put more focus on like arming people, teaching people how to like be proficient with firearms. And they need to teach people just how to communicate with each other in like a, in a, in a way that's not aristocratic and not like academic. Like you need to be able to communicate your ideas to people you know, because realistically, it's not it's not the theory nerds. It's not like these, um, you know, huge totalizing figures of like Facebook or left book fame that are going to lead us to the revolution. But normal people like mm-hmm. normal people have to, you know, give us consent for what we're doing. Like the masses have to consent to this. And if you can't communicate to them, then there is no movement. And leftists on, in, in America especially need to grasp that immediately i think theory pilled people would really rather argue with other theory pilled people you know rather than the people who are actually sort of like discrediting what they believe in on a fundamental level these people want to argue right. with other people who have these like very small little differences in like how exactly we would execute a social society rather than argue with people who are just like ardent capitalist and i think we need to get to that point where we're, we are sort of going back to the base level, like sort of what Matt alluded to and explaining that like, yes, like workers are being exploited. There's no other way to describe what is happening in this transaction as just it's only can be described as exploitation and until people start to realize that they're, they're not going to ever even consider all these little tiny sects of communist or leftist or anarchist or whatever that exist. They're only just going to think about the world in terms of of like capitalist notions. And I, I mean, I don't think either, too, that we're like even at a stage to be saying like, oh, well, you know, what we really need to be focusing on is necessarily like arming people or what have you. It's like the left needs to get its shit together and be like, what are some single we've said this in previous episodes. What are some normal things what is a sort of quote-unquote normie left platform that we can all get behind you know that doesn't include references to uh stalinism or you know whatever and and centrally organizes around these key tenants whether it's healthcare for all or uh you know education for all or whatever and saying okay look we're gonna agree on this if you want to go get in your theory-pilled rants in, in left book or somewhere else, that's fine. Or you want to hash it out with some anarchist who said that, you know, North Korea isn't a utopia, then do that. That's fine. At a bar somewhere outside of us doing actual political work. But until then, we need to sit back and say, what are some digestible things that we can offer people and communicate them in an, in a normal, digestible way and that we can all get behind and isn't going to cause us to infight and split into 30 million different groups that don't get anything done. I'm, I'm sure we'll come back to that topic of normie communism and, you know, theory nerds and sectarianism. In fact, I, I know that we were talking about doing some type of a series on sectarianism on the left. So um, look out for that in the future. Um, but Last uh, thing we want to mention tonight is a viewer or a listener question. And this comes from Devin. And they were messaging uh, the Facebook page about this. But they were interested in understanding our perspective um, on meritocracy 
in terms of like a socialist society that reads, uh, democracy becomes viable only at the point at which the vast majority of citizens are highly capable, clever, and resourceful. At that point, democracy and meritocracy intersect and become synonymous. Until that point, the most meritorious people in society must be placed in charge. So their question was basically asking our take and our thoughts on this and whether we think that uh, meritocracy can be compatible with a socialist society. So what do you guys think about that? Well, I hate to get like super postmodern about it, but like <laughs> what exactly is meritorious? You know, like what is exactly your level of, of measuring what is meritorious? If, you know, it's based on something that we've all agreed upon, then you've already started the democracy part without getting into what is meritorious, you know? So it's kind of like a weird, what came first, the chicken or the egg type of question, because we can't really decide what is meritorious before we've agreed on at least something. You know what I mean? I guess for me, like in the last few weeks, I've been thinking so heavily about it is like for anything to get off the ground, we need to have some sort of agreement of what is and to agree on anything whatsoever there has to be some sort of like democratic process of like what do we actually agree on you know if if something yeah. is good we need to agree on what is good if something is bad we need to agree on what is bad there's no way to sort of like get off the ground without having that sort of like fundamental understanding so in a way like you you sort of need this at least popular understanding of something or popular notion about something before you can even start to answer like a question of what is meritorious you know well what like let me pose the question to you in this way like in a social in a in a theoretical socialist society do we think that a doctor should make the same wage or income as like a day laborer for example like should there be meritocracy even if there are no classes so I think this is a question that's, you know, oftentimes or a point rather that's oftentimes brought up by the usually the far right. And they're like, oh, well, so you just believe that, you know, a doctor should make the same amount as a janitor. And that's not really the the case or what we're advocating in a socialist society. What a socialist society is essentially saying is that the person who is not a doctor or the person who is not an engineer, person who isn't a PhD, they still deserve the right to have a standard of living that allows them to meet the material needs to reproduce themselves and their families for generations without worry or fear of ec- entering economic hardship um, that they don't have any control over. And, you know, how like wages get factored into that and whether or not, you know, oh, a doctor gets actually physically paid more or maybe a doctor gets some other set of rewards established through a socialist system, you know, I don't know how all that'll work or how that'll be fleshed out. You know, this is, this is a whole project that's going to take a long, you know, a long time and many different theorizing and some, some successes and some failures and all of that. And it's all going to have to be thought out and reworked for a very long time. Um, That said though, you know, in regards to meritocracy at a point where democracy, you know, necessarily has to be ran by these people that are supposedly the most, uh, you know, capable, clever and resourceful. What does that mean? Because technically on paper, we have a society, a quote unquote democracy 
that is ran by largely Harvard graduates or ex-CEOs or current CEOs or what have you. And I don't personally feel that what we live under is one, even a democracy and two ran in a clever or capable way. Yeah. I think that's definitely like my take on it as well is like, if you're going to, if you're going to say meritocracy, well, we need to establish under socialist society what that would even entail. Because obviously we have like the myth of the entrepreneurial spirit and all of that stuff acting on neoliberal capitalist society here in the U.S. And it kind of obscures like what success or what meritocracy even is. Because quite clearly, you know, we have people in like PMC or professional managerial type jobs pushing paper and they're not really doing any real work except maybe editing an Excel spreadsheet or, you know, printing reports. And they're making like six figures, but they're also people who are like doing backbreaking labor, making no money at all. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, we can't really look at the problem in that, in that way. Like meritocracy as an idea is fundamentally flawed. And I think it's like sort of, a, in my opinion, a remnant of class society. Uh, my socialist society would o- obviously, you know, it would be stratified to the point where it's like there would be incentives for someone to want to become a, do- a doctor. But at the same time, there would be like affordability all around, like anyone could become a doctor if they wanted to, like, and it wouldn't be cost prohibitive for them to do so. It would only be like prohibitive, like on a, like an academic or intellectual basis. Like, you know, if you could, if you, if you couldn't maintain like a certain GPA, then like it would be harder for you to get funding or something like that. Like that is something I would be more comfortable with like regulating society under as long as it was like overseen by like, like a, you know, a central committee or something like that. I think you like really only need to look back as far as the election in 2016. It's like, who is the most meritorious in that scenario? It's like most people would probably agree Hillary Clinton, right? She's been in the government. She knows how this all works. She's an insider. But people rejected that. And so you have to ask, like, if the people reject it, how could you possibly justify that being sort of like higher power government institution? You know, if people reject it outright, you can't form a legitimate government. I mean, maybe you can if you don't really believe in democracy, I guess. But, you know, how how does it feel to have a country that is ruled by someone who doesn't have popular support? It just seems, I mean, on some level wrong, you know. For us to have any sort of conversation, like we need to be understanding that, yes, the country follows whoever has the most popular will at the time, you know, whoever has the most political will will be the winner, you know, and if that's not sort of what you're agreeing on, then in a way, you are always going to have some sort of like dictatorship, you know, and what happens when people are always just rejecting who their leadership is, you know, is that a healthy society? Of course not. There's no way you could build a healthy society that way. I think people have to look at it in context of what we have, too. Like, clearly, as we've mentioned numerous times, the electoral college and first-past-the-post electoral system is is by no means, like, real democracy. Um, And this country has never really been a a real democracy, um, you know, with real representation for every person. Right. So, like, we have to recontextualize what we even think, like— democracy through consent of the governed even looks like you know what i mean like we have to reevaluate those things in a socialist society where they're not 
they're not bogged down by the trappings or artifacts of class society. Right. And that, that takes like, whether we want to like believe it or not, like that takes like significant social upheaval to achieve. Right. Well, and also too, it's like, you're talking about, you know, when you're talking about like the popularity or like winning a popular vote or something like that, it's like, when you actually look at the numbers on that, you only have what 55% of the country even voting. So how much of the people that we have in power, you know, how many presidents who make up this sort of meritocratical class or whatever, how many of these leaders and people are actually elected by the majority, the popular majority of the American state? Like I don't, yeah, exactly. So and there's so many reasons for why that's the case, why people don't tune into politics, people who aren't even allowed to vote or they've had their right to vote stripped away forever because they're a convicted felon, whether it was for, a you know, violent or nonviolent reasons. Like, I mean, there's just so many different factors at play there that I think kind of elucidate the fact that a meritocratical society or meritocracy, sorry, you know, is is just not really necessarily the most advantageous i mean maybe it sounds so on paper but not in practice yeah Yeah. so i think in summation like we said i think our our, i think our response is going to be summarized or encapsulated in the idea that we should question like whether meritocracy itself is valuable Mm -hmm. and we should also consider the context in which in which like we consider democracy, like the U.S. system that most of us have been raised within, you know, it manufactures consent for like some sort of democracy. But what we really have doesn't amount to real democracy because there's so much voter suppression. There's so much like obfuscation of democracy or democratic consent. And especially so if you're looking at this last democratic, you know, you know, party primary process, like looking if you were to look at that and say that that is democracy when we've got people like you know the most meritocratic you know supposedly harvard graduates running this country we have to stop and think like is it meritocratic just because they went to these institutions is it meritocratic because they all toe the line of neoliberalism that's become institutionalized like under what like pretenses do we give these people merit just because they went to like a Ivy League acad- academic institution, like we really have to, as scientific socialists, be questioning those things, like be skeptical about the these power structures there. So I think, you know, that's a perfect encapsulation of like the thought process, like question those things, but also realize that like, you know, socialism never said that everybody would get the same wage. Like, right. no, does it say that? there would be the same wage but as long as like we're guided by the principle to to each individual according to need you know and from each according to ability as long as we're functioning under that pretense and that principle i think that we can have room for some sort of stratification of wage to give people incentive to want to be something you know that is desirable you know what i mean because obviously look at the u.s right now during the coronavirus crisis, like, you, you know, we're running low on like health, health workers and like, and, and medical workers, like in a, in a state like that, that should be prioritized. Like 
in a, in a socialist society. Like if there is a need for those type of things to weather pandemics and weather climate ca catastrophe, then those people should maybe be incentivized by paying them more or like incentivizing them with like more scholarships to the academic institutions so that regular people with no capital or no other means can go and get those things or, you know, can pursue those things for incentives. Like there are many ways that we can do that, but like there are also a lot of structures within meritocracy that we don't need to bring with us to classless society. With that, we want to thank y'all for tuning into our first uh, Patreon exclusive bonus episode. If you'd like more of these, definitely stay uh, up to date with us on Patreon, and we very much appreciate your support. Um, if you're not aware already, we're on um, Spotify, we're on Apple, we're on Stitcher, Pocket Cast, um, Podbean, all of those platforms. If you find us on uh, Apple or Google, consider giving us like a review or a rate of some sort. That really helps people find our podcast. And um, until next time, I uh, hope you all stay safe.